So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about myself. My name is Daniel, uh, and I am from Ohio. So O-H, anybody? N- nobody. It's somebody back there. So I grew up in Ohio in the middle of a cornfield where the only thing in uh, sight were, was corn and cows. Corn and cows. And my dad was a pastor and a farmer. And I'm going to tell a story about him today because he's going to be here next week. So I'm going to get it out of the way. So he's a, he's a farmer and a preacher. And so I'm pretty sure at times I've been spanked with a Bible. I think that's the thing. And so I had an awesome upbringing. We lived out in the middle of nowhere. We had a farm. There were three boys, and then we kind of adopted a fourth. So there were four teenage boys. Uh, and sometime in our like 12 to 15 age range, we moved to a new farm. And we moved to a new farm, and that farm was grown up all over the place. And so we did a lot of like bush hogging and clearing, and uh, we did a lot of work. My dad was also pretty strict and pretty conservative, and so we didn't watch a lot of TV. So whenever we did watch TV, I don't know if you guys can relate, uh, we would be watching like a four-hour documentary on like monkeys in Africa, and the one time that like a researcher had a button undone and there was a little bit of cleavage, my dad would walk in, right? And he'd walk in and be like, what kind of trash are you guys watching? right? Or the one cuss word or the one thing, and he would, what are you guys watching? What are you filling your minds with? And we'd be like, Dad, I promise, like, there's nothing going on. It's been four hours of monkeys. He'd look at us and be like, you're rationalizing. You're rationalizing. And so because of that, we watched a lot of movies that were really old. And so one of our favorite movies was Swiss Family Robinson, Like the 1960s version where they fight the pirates on the side of the hill? Anybody? Yeah? And so what do four teenage or pre-adolescent boys want to do? We wanted to fight pirates. And what do they use to fight pirates in Swiss Family Robinson? They trap a tiger in a pit, right? They trap a tiger in a pit, and so we thought that would be really cool. So we went to one of the, the fields that we hadn't cleared yet, And we decided, we don't have any tigers in Ohio, uh, that we were going to catch a deer. And so this went from like fighting pirates to murder pretty quickly. Like, like we're going to, we're going to, we're going to catch this deer. We're going to put stakes in the bottom of the pit. And so there's four teenage boys and we dug a pit that was about four feet deep by four feet wide with stakes in the bottom. And we covered it with sticks and we covered it with leaves and then we waited Right? We waited, and then we waited, and then we waited, and then we forgot. And then we moved on with our lives, and we forgot that that pit was there. And so one time in the middle of summer, we're inside doing whatever teenage boys do, probably watching Swiss Family Robinson, or Mask of Zorro. That was one that was approved. I'm not sure why. And so we're inside watching, and we hear a ruckus. And so we all go running outside, and we look in the backfield, and in our pit, there is a deer. In our pit, there is a deer. And my, like, I went from really excited to really terrified when I noticed the deer's back tire spinning. We caught a John Deere. 
We cut a John Deere tractor with a very reg, re, angry red-headed dad on top of it. And I, I still have, like, flinch, like, right? Like, I can't sit down. I still have those memories. But I was always, as we moved along, and I've thought about that over and over. In fact, just about six months ago when we went back and all of his sons are now in their 30s, we're like, Dad, weren't you just a little proud of us for digging that hole and showing initiative? And still, what, 20 years later, he's like, no. <laughs> like, that was dumb. <laughs> and so that pit is something that I think we see in our everyday lives all the time. And so stuff happens to us. There's parts of our story. There's parts of our history. There's parts of us that all of a sudden we forget about. And they're a pit. And they're dangerous. And one day we're just driving along in our John Deere 4020 and we're bush hogging the backfield and bang, we fall into that pit. And that's what mental health is. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next two weeks. And so we're going to talk about those pits. We're going to talk about our stories. We're going to talk about your guys' story. And we're going to talk about that in context of God's Word and what He says for us and what He has shown for us. We are going to talk about some science. We're going to talk about uh, what happens to the brain. We're going to talk about uh, being harmed through relationship and therefore being healed through relationship, which I'm going to say about 100 times over the next two weeks. But we're going to talk about the science as a revelation of God's character as shown to us through the Bible. And so we're going to start there, and then we're going to move into what happens to us through the context of relationship. So we're going to just jump right here from the beginning. So Genesis 1, 26 to 28. If you guys have your Bibles, feel free to pull those out. We're staying in Genesis this week, and we're going to jump to the New Testament next, next week. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Roll over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You guys bow your heads for a second. God, we ask that as we tackle this tough subject over the next several weeks, that you show us what it is to be in relationship with you and to be healthy in your context and from your word. And we ask that people hear what needs to be here heard, and that we move together as a collective group in relationship towards that continual goal of health with each other. Amen. And so when we read this, a lot of times we just conjure up this picture of God like creating somebody, and we, we, we think about Adam, and then we think about Eve, and then we think about the fall, and we, we skip over a couple pretty key points here. And we, as a, as, a, as a group of believers, believe in a concept called the triune God. And I'm not going to jump completely down into all of this because I could talk about every one of my points on my outline today for about four hours. 
So we're going to move through stuff pretty quickly so that we can get the whole picture rather than getting buried in the minutiae. And so there's this concept of the triune God that we believe in as a group of people. And the triune God is basically our human bodies or brains have no idea how to conceptualize how big and how awesome and how complex God is. But we do understand that he is more than one being. And those beings exist and have always existed in the context of relationship. And those beings are function, and we don't know how, but they function together in the context of relationship. So I want you to look at that first verse. Then God said, let us, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so if we do some Hebrew word study there, that's the word Elohim. And Elohim means more than one. It's the plural usage of the noun Elohim. And so a lot of, not every, but a lot of biblical scholars believe that this is just additional proof in talking about a triune God. So he says, let us, let us, let our relationship make man in our image, in our likeness. And so from the very beginning, we are created with this idea that we are to be connected to the other beings around us. And so we are created in the image of relationship. We are created to be in connection. We are created to be with each other. And then, that stinking apple, right? The Lord God, well, it's the stinking serpent, really. The apple was just a conduit. I shouldn't blame it on the apple. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said... The man has now become like one of us, there it is, same word, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Now, a lot of us know, most of us know the story leading up to here is there's temptation and then there's sin. But what did the sin result in? That's what I want to focus on. And so J.R. said this last week, he said this many times, sin is a deviation from God's purpose. And I think when we read this scripture, when we look at the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand, so the Lord God banished them. So sin, the fall, is a deviation in relationship from God and from the image in which we were created. And so we are created to be in relationship in the image of God. And guess what? We don't, I, I don't, I don't live in the Garden of Eden. We have a garden, but there's no like angel standing outside with a big old sword, right? Like we live outside of what we were created for, but we still were created for it. And so we constantly seek out relationship. And you know what? We constantly harm each other through relationship because of the fall, because we are deviated from God's purpose for us, which is to exist in healthy relationship. And so I'm going to contend over this week and next 
that mental health is generally a deviation in relationship. And so I'm going to talk about a lot, and I'm going to say it again, we are harmed through relationship, therefore we must be healed through relationship. We are harmed through relationship, therefore we must be healed through relationship. So when we think of mental health, a lot of times we think about a lot of those crazy things. Who watched Criminal Minds in here? Who's ever seen Criminal Minds? Who's ever heard of Criminal Minds? And so when we think of mental health, we think about people that wear other people's faces, right? Like they kill people and put them in their van. That's not what we're talking about. Mental health is a deviation in relationship if we are struggling with our mental health because we are created in the image. So those relational deviations mimic those deviations that we see in the fall, that we see in Genesis 3. So I'm going to, um, can I have Heidi? I'm going to talk a little bit about the science of relationship. And I'm going to offer up my daughter, Okay. <laughs> So we are created to be with each other. And who has ever heard of attachment? Attachment at its essence, at its very base, is our ability to know if we are safe in this world. Our ability to know that our needs are going to be met and that we are going to be safe and that somebody is going to care for us. And that is what we were created to be because that's what God wants to do for us. And that's what attachment is. And so Heidi is uh, 16 months old and attachment uh, is generally um, completely formed between 18 months uh, and 24 months. So she's almost there, right? (laughs) I trained her to do that. And so what's she doing right now? She is standing in front of a couple hundred people, 16 months old. She has no fear about what's going on. Do you know why? Because she trusts in the safety of my relationship with her. And that's what attachment is. JR, can you come up here for a second? (laughs) And so when we are created for relationship, we trust that relationship, right? And when I hand her to a creepy, creepy guy over here, that she is freaked out. What's she doing right now? <laughs> Everything she can to make eye contact with me. You're okay, baby. To trust my relationship. Thank you. <laughs> and so that's what attachment is. Attachment is the fundamental essence of, am I going to be cared for? Am I going to be loved? Is somebody going to consistently meet my needs? Thanks. And so there are several things that can happen through attachment. There are, there are four different kinds of attachment. I'm going to talk about what those things are. First of all, do you guys know how many... How, what the percentage is um, that parents need, need to meet the needs of a, of a child for them to be healthily attached. You know, you know, what percentage as a parent do you need to meet the needs of your child for them to be okay? What do you think it is? 
75%? Somebody's a cheater. (laughs) 30%. It's 30%. We need to meet the needs of our children. That's attachment science. 30% of the time. That doesn't mean that we just go for that, right? Like... (laughs) Well, they've only called six times so far. I got one more, and then I can go meet that need. I can change that diaper, right? But there's hope in that message. And so we have four different kinds of attachment. I'm going to move through these pretty quick. But the first type of attachment is a secure attachment. And a secure attachment means that I trust that the people that are supposed to care for me, whoever they are, my primary and secondary attachment does not have to be a mom and dad, although traditionally that's what it is. It's whoever most consistently meets my needs. I trust that they're going to do that. And so my five-year-old, Natalie, a couple months ago, uh, Veronica had to work uh, kind of outside of her normal uh, schedule. And so grandma came down and watched the girls. And at seven o'clock when mom left, the girls cried for five minutes, right? They cry for five minutes and then they're fine. And then 30 minutes later, I leave, and I assume they cried for two minutes, and then they were fine. That is secure attachment. When we trust, when we believe that our needs are going to be consistently met, and that we are going to be cared for and loved, that's secure attachment. Later that day, I come home from work, and uh, Grandma leaves, and Natalie, my five-year-old, looks at me and says, Daddy... I needed to tell you something. I said, go ahead. She said, I miss you when you leave. But I miss mom more when she leaves. (laughs) And I said, that's because mom's your primary attachment. I'm your secondary attachment, right? (laughs) Sorry you're being raised by a therapist. (laughs) The second one is an anxious attachment. And this is not anxiety. This is not... People that are anxious, it's not indicative of an anxious attachment. It's just what we call it. And so that anxious attachment is, I don't fully trust that my needs are going to be put first, that they're going to be consistently met, and that I will be loved and cared for. And so if I have an anxious attachment, what I try to do is never let the relationship out of my sight. Have we ever met people like that? Where, or are we like that? Where... I don't trust that that person is coming back. I don't trust that mom and dad are going to come back from work. I'm going to be stuck with grandma forever. I don't trust in the safety of our relationship, and I do what I can to control it. And has anybody ever heard the word clingy? It's generally where we start to get into that, where people need that, and we are created in the image of God, so we crave and we need and we desire relationship, and so we do whatever we can to get what we think we need out of that relationship. That's an anxious attachment. The third one is an ambivalent attachment. Ambivalent attachment is I cannot trust the safety of my relationship, and I don't know what I'm going to get from that relationship. My parent or my guardian or my attachment is not consistent in what they give me, and so I'm going to make sure that you are not consistent in what you get from me. And so I act in a way that keeps myself safe because nobody else is going to do it for me. And have we ever been in a relationship with somebody, and it's going great, any kind of relationship, it's going awesome, 
And then all of a sudden, like the bottom drops out of it, right? We start acting crazy or they start acting in a way. I I told JR we weren't allowed to use crazy during this series and I'm the one that did it. So we start acting in a way that is outside of that social norm. And so we start doing things to what? Distance people from us because we don't trust that we will be safe in relationship with them. And that's ambivalent attachment. The last one is disorganized attachment. Disorganized attachment is there is no attachment. We don't have any trust. If we look at anxious attachment and ambivalent attachment, there is somebody that is meeting some needs for them sometimes. And we work with traumatized kids a lot. uh, And one thing I was surprised when I first became a therapist is no matter how many bad things happen to a kid, they still wanted to be with that person that had done that to them, generally, if it was their caregiver, because we're created for a relationship. And so anxious and ambivalent uh, attachment, they are having some needs met. Disorganized attachment, they're having no needs met. And so every room I ever walk into, if I have a disorganized attachment, I do not trust anyone in that room to look out for me, my needs, and to be loved and cared for. And so I want you to think real quickly through attachment and what that looks like in, to- in context of relationship with each other, in, the, in the, the church community, but also relationship with God. Our stories inform who we are and who we become and how we act and what we do. And if my story is fraught with disruption in relationship, then how can I trust a Savior or a church community who says they have their best interests for me? How can I do that? And so, generally when we struggle, it's because we are struggling with who we are and if we are going to be safe. And that just evolves into a lot of other things. We don't think about that when we're 35 or when we're 56 or whatever it is. But our attachment is the subsequent driver that influences every social, emotional thing that we ever do. We are informed by that because we are created in the image of a relationship and that is who we are. Did you know that, that kids that are severely neglected can actually die? Not from lack of food, not from lack of water, but from lack of love. Kids who are in orphanages, I mean, it happens less now, but uh, in orphanages that never get any physical contact and love and affection can actually die because we have to have it because we are created in the image of it. And so we generally act out our stories on each other, correct? Please don't do these things. But I really like this graphic. We generally, when we are not in a healthy relationship... We act in a way that is contrary to somebody else because we are generally pushing them away because we don't trust them. 
or we're trying to control the relationship to get what we need. And so I'm going to take a, a few minutes here and talk about what happens to us, what can happen to us as people. Has anybody heard of the ACEs study? So the ACEs study was a seminal study uh, about 20 years ago that um, came out of an insurance company. And so what do insurance companies like to do? What do insurance companies like to do? Mitigate risk or save money, right? They like to pay less claims out. And so they had some doctors that were starting to ask these questions of obese patients or patients that had chronically, uh, chronic physical ailments. So lung disease, heart disease, liver disease, all kinds of chronic physical ailments. And they started to ask them questions. And they were asking them questions like, what happened to you when you were a kid? Did something happen to you? What is your story? And they started to find this really strong correlation between a story and a person's history and their past in relationship and their long-term physical ailments and their long-term overall health and ability to maintain health. And so I'm going to read the ACEs study to you really quick. I'm going to put it up here. Unless you have like eagle eyes, you're probably not going to be able to read it. So this is the ACEs study. And I want you to just real quick, these are not, this is not every bad thing that ever happens to us. But these are a lot of the ones that do. Did a parent or other adult in the household often swear at you, insult you, put you down, or humiliate you? Did a parent or other adult in the household often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you? Did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or have you touch their body in a sexual way? Did you often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special? Did you often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, and had no one to protect you? Were your parents ever separated or divorced? Was your mother or stepmother often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her? Sometimes or often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard? Did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or whoever used street drugs? Was a household member depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide? And did a household member go to prison? Pretty heavy, right? But I want to ask you a question. How many of these are disruptions in relationship? Every single one. Every single one of these is a disruption in a relationship, and generally a disruption in a relationship from somebody who's supposed to keep us safe. And so when we are disrupted in what we were created to be, that creates an angst in us that, that is to the very essence of our physical and emotional being. And the ACEs study is still trying to figure out why, right? And so they call it toxic stress. I call it sin. It's a deviation in what we were created to be. 
And so these things happen to us. These things are here. And I want you to think, so they did this study with 17,000 people. They found that um, about 30% of the population has zero aces and everybody else has kind of an ascending number of aces. And they found this direct correlation. If you have four or more aces, then you are significantly more risk for these long-term physical health effects. But I would say that a lot of their, their things are wrong because, not wrong, but the, the, the problem is more pervasive. Because they, they surveyed 17,000 people who had insurance. They surveyed 17,000 people who were functional enough that they could pay for insurance themselves or hold a job. And so I would contend that it's more like 15 to 20% of people have zero of these. So I want to go over just two of these aces. One of these is divorce. What's the divorce rate in the United States of America? Right now it's 53%. 53%. Now the academic, the researcher in me says, oh, don't make this jump. But let's just assume that we're close to 50% of children are affected by divorce. Instantly, 50% of our population has one ace, has one disruption in relationship. Now let's talk about a bigger one. Let's talk about sexual abuse. Did you know that in the United States of America, one in four girls are sexually abused before they turn age 16, and one in six boys before they turn age 18, and that's considered low because boys don't report. Did you know that tomorrow morning at 8.15, the bell's going to ring at Helena High, and there are 1,600 kids that go to Helena High? Did you know that 400 kids are going to walk into that building tomorrow who have been or are being sexually abused? That's two aces. I could do this all the way down. But what, it, what this means is this is us. This is our community. And if we are created in the image of God... And we as a body believe that we are here to carry out God's mission, then it is our mission to focus on those disruptions in relationship. It is our mission, it is who we are, it is our likeness. We are created in this image to work on who we are and care for those who have been hurt through relationship. And that is what mental health is it is us collectively working to restore ourselves through the image of godly relationship. And so when we have aces, like I said, these aces are not everything that happens to us, but when we have anything that happens adversely to us in our history, it's generally in the context of relationship. It's generally, even if it's a car accident, right? We are disrupted in that relationship or we're disrupted by that event because somebody was hurt that we care for. Or a medical trauma because it's somebody we care for. Generally, the things that happen are through the context of relationship because we're created for that. And so I want to make a quick um, differentiation between um, mental, mental illness, uh, organic mental illnesses, and relational, what I'm going to call relational mental illnesses. And so there are some things that happen to us 
that are because our brain chemistry isn't what it was supposed to be. And there can be genetic disorders, and there can be things that happen to us that, we don't ne- that, ne- that aren't necessarily predicated by something that happened to us in childhood. But I would still contend they're disruptions in relationship, because if I have an organic disorder like schizophrenia, then I generally can't be in relationship with other people, or people don't want to be in relationship with me. But I'm still created in the image of. Same thing with another organic disorder like autism. Autism as its fundamental base is the inability to have genuine social connection. Do I have to explain that one? Even though it's an organic disorder, we have a disruption in our ability to have healthy relationship with other people. Now, they can, we can absolutely do that, but it, it, it comes at mu- we have to be much more intentional. And so, what happens to us when we are disrupted relationally, when we have trauma, when we have ACEs, when we have toxic stress, when we have a story that's disrupted in the context of relationship? It can literally, it will literally change the physiological makeup of our body and our brain. It will literally change the way that our brain looks. And so when we're uh, newborns, or when we're in the first three years of life, we're born with a certain number of what we call neural synapses, or connections in our brain. We're born with a certain number of those connections, and then they start to, what we call, proliferate and prune, and then myelinate. And so what, those, what that means is we get this burst. We have the most connections in our brain that we will ever have around age three, two to three. See all those connections up there? That's what our brain looks like, age two to three. And what our brain does through the, through the concept of pruning is if we don't use a connection, then our brain gets rid of it. And so if I'm two to three and my needs aren't being taken care of, and I'm not being loved or cared for in the context of relationship, my brain will prune away those connections that value those things. And so my brain literally changes in form. And so I become hardwired for a brain, for a world that is dangerous. I become hardwired for a world where I have to look out for myself. And it literally changes how we interact with our world. Now, if we look at the adult brain and those neural synapses, there's less of them. But what do you know about, notice about some of those? They're stronger. And so the farther we go along, the more they, that be, those patterns become behavior. And the more that we become entrenched in the history of the response to our relationships. And so next week, we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about how do we heal this. But this week, we're talking about what happens. And this is what happens. And so I want everybody to put your hand up. This is your brain. Okay, this is not an 80s commercial. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. That's not what this is. This is your brain. And this right here, I want everybody to go like this. This is your brain stem. What does your brain stem do? Keeps you alive. Basic life functions. This, I want you to wrap it down, is your limbic system. What does your limbic system do? Emotions, or we call what we call the five Fs. So fight, flight, freeze, fornicate, and feed. 
which are generally the things we do when we're emotional, right? And so that's what's controlled there. Wiggle your fingers. This is your prefrontal cortex. Now, I want you to wrap your prefrontal cortex around your lipstick system. What does our prefrontal cortex do for us? Judgment, impulse control, concrete operational thinking, the ability to rationalize, right? Like my dad said, rationalizing. <laughs> you guys know when this comes fully online? For, for females, it's generally 18 to 25. For guys, it's 25 to never. <laughs> but when we have connections that are not rooted in safety and security, what happens? When we become disrupted, our brain sends a signal directly, it passes this, directly to our limbic system, which regulates fight, flight, freeze, fornicate, feed. And what happens is it blows the top off. Everybody blow the top off. It blows the top off. So when I am disrupted in the context of relationship, you can put your brains down. When I'm disrupted in the context of relationship, I am not talking to you here. I am talking to you here. And so two things happen. If your brain is here and mine is here, I'm going to tell you to shut up, right? Because I don't care. You can't lecture somebody into feeling better. Who has teenagers? You know this. Right? Who has a two-year-old? You know this. You can't lecture them because they're functioning here into feeling better, into feeling safe. We have to show them. And so we have to also be here. And we're going to talk a lot more about that next week, about how to be with each other and to heal through healthy relationship. But that's literally, physiologically, what's happening to our body. So the last picture I'm going to show you is this is an actual comparative MRI between a normal brain of a three-year-old and a brain of a three-year-old who has suffered extreme neglect. What do you notice? It's literally smaller. What about the, all the holes in the gray matter, which is that prefrontal cortex, all those connections? There's holes. There are literal holes in our brain, in our ability to function. And so JR said this last week. I'm going to say it again. We need to look at each other through the context of it's not what is wrong with you. It is what has happened to you or to us because we are created in the image and the likeness of God in healthy relationship and we are deviated from it in our earthly ones and it can literally change our bodies and the ways that we interact and the things that control the way we interact and so next week we're going to talk about genuineness empathy and vulnerability about how to connect with people but this is what happens to us. This is heartbreaking. But there is hope. And so we talk about this in terms of science, but I still contend that this is because we are deviated in relationship from our Creator in whose likeness we were created. And so what do we do when we're disrupted? What do we do? We... We really like this, this term in the behavioral health field. We act out, right? 
And so we do things to communicate our internal emotional state. How many emotions does a two-year-old or three-year-old have? Two, maybe three. More, unfortunately, if your dad's a therapist. So we have two, maybe three, mad and happy and maybe sad. So a couple months ago, we were at the uh, dinner table and Natalie was throwing a fit about something, I don't remember why, and I said, honey, you look frustrated. And she looked at me and she said, yes, I'm frustrated at you and that's okay. (laughs) I'm like, "Uh, I'm breaking you, I'm sorry. (laughs) And so we do things, hold on, how many emotions does a teenager have? How many, teenager, how many emotions does a teenager know they have? Three, maybe four. Mad, sad, happy, and puberty. Right? <laughs> and so we don't often know how to express what is going on inside us. And so I'm going to give you a term that is very, very important, and that is behavior as communication. We do things to ex- express our internal emotional state. Have you ever done something and like two days later you're like, what was that? Because we're functioning out of the limbic system of our brain at the very basis of who we are, generally out of an informed story of disruption, re- disrupted relationship, and we do things that we don't necessarily know why. It's because we're trying to communicate our internal emotional state because a lot of times we don't have the words to do that. Who has a toddler in here? Who knows who Daniel Tiger is? Who knows who Mr. Rogers is? Daniel Tiger is the next iteration of Mr. Rogers. And so what does Daniel Tiger do? They teach stupid songs. Like, when you get so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. One, two, Three, four. And as I was practicing, I was talking about this yesterday, Veronica goes, Sometimes I need more than four, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we can modify that song, a thousand and four, whatever you guys need to do. But what is, that, what is that doing? It's teaching me to communicate my internal emotional state. It's, commun- it's teaching me to say what I'm experiencing. And how good are we at that? Generally, not very. And so behavior is communication. We need to understand that as a church community, as a community that believes, because that's how people tell you they're hurting. That is how people tell you that they're disrupted in relationship. And if we go back to attachment, if they're not cared for and they're telling you they don't feel cared for, it's not going to feel good when they do it to us. And so a lot of times we're like, well, I don't want to talk to that person. They do this or they do that. They're telling you they're hurting. They are telling you that they are disrupted in relationship. And we have to heal through relationship. And so when we, as a people, and we all have been disrupted in relationship because it's a deviation from the image and likeness we were created to be, we have to intentionally seek out healing relationships with each other. The other thing I want to touch briefly on before I, before I wrap up is trauma or ACEs or toxic stress or abuse is an issue of perception. 
And so I, I have a couple aces up on that board, but I experienced those aces different than you did. And so what we can't do is compare stories. We cannot compare stories because my story is different than yours, even if it is the same or similar to yours. Trauma is an issue of perception. Relational disruption is an issue of perception. And what is the phrase that we really like in Montana that flies in the face of everything that I've just said? Pick yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Well, if we're disrupted from a very early age, we can't pick ourselves up by our booty straps. We have to heal through the context of relationship. And it's not a judgment about what you experienced through my story, through my history. It's me joining with you in your experience and your perception of it. So I did these twin studies a long, long time ago. Uh, and they were longitudinal twin studies of, of identical twins. And what they found was you can have the same DNA, you can have the same environment growing up, and some of the, some of the uh, participants in the study, one turned out to be a colonel in the Air Force while his identical twin went to prison. It's not about our story. It's about our perception of our story. And we're going to talk a lot more about the, the, the buzzword now, which is resilience and how we move through this stuff and get stronger and better for our stories. We're going to talk about that next week. The last thing I want to leave you with is what we do, what we see other people do, what we do to each other, what we see other people do to each other. When we see that, I want you to ask yourself a question. Is what we are seeing an abnormal response to a normal environment or a normal response to an abnormal environment? Are we reacting to what we think should be the case or are we reacting to a disruption in relationship that originates from the fall? And if we can start there, then we can have grace for each other. And if we start there, then we can start to heal. So next week, we're going to move into we are harmed through relationship. Now we must be healed through relationship. Thank you.